And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Welcome to My Public Life as an American Nerd. I am your host, David K. Montoya. All right, kids, we are back on the verge of 4th of July. Happy Independence Day. Uh, let's see. I have got a plethora of things to talk about. Uh, my son, my brother, and I, we went and we checked out the new Spider-Man yesterday. That was amazing. That was really fun. Um, and of course I will get into that. And plus I, I have my regular, uh, routine. If you folks haven't figured it out yet, my routine is I give you one comic book story, one movie story, one cartoon story, and then we usually wrap it up with, a, a you know, a toy of the week. And that's kind of the format that I'm using right now. So let's see. Um, what do we want to do? I guess because Spider-Man Far From Home is, you know, pretty hot right now. Um, like I said, my brother and I and my son Jay, we all went out. We went to see it last night, opening day. And to be honest with you, I, I had my reservations about it because very rarely is it that a sequel is better than the first one. And I absolutely, and I've gone on record, I... I don't know if we were recording when uh, the first Spider-Man Homecoming came out, uh, but I've been on record, I know at least written record, that I absolutely love the movie. I, I think that um, the interpretation done for the modern era is really well done. Um so going into a sequel, you know, I, I again, I, I had my reservations. And I think Tom, Tom Holland. Now, I was in my 20s when Tobey Maguire came out as Spider-Man. So I preferred uh, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man over Andrew Garfield's uh, I think that's mainly pretty much everybody felt that way because, you know, he only got two movies. Uh, but anyway, so I, I think everything is just up to par with the way it is. Now, like my son, he also grew up with Tobey Maguire's uh, rendition or version of Spider-Man. So he always saw Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man. And I asked him last night, I said, well, what do you think of it? And he, his answer was, it was perfect. And I, I have to say that I'm, I'm pretty much in agreement with him. Um, and from the looks of things, I think a lot of people, especially in the U.S., are, are agreeing that it was a perfect rendition of Spider-Man. Which leads me into my very first article of today. Oh, by the way, let me apologize for getting this out late. Um, we got home, it was late, 
and I had to get my little girl. She's going with her aunt to Big Bear. So I had to go and, and get her, her clothes situated and all that for her trip today to go to Big Bear. So by the time I got finished, it was late because I had gotten home from the movies, did that, and decided to do it now. So my apologies for getting it out late, but it is here. Okay, let me go ahead and jump into this article. It is Spider-Man Far From Home swings into weekend record Tuesday opening. Now, that doesn't make sense. I know. I understand. Because Tuesday is not considered a weekend, but whatever. Okay? So, and there isn't really that many that I know of that opens on a Tuesday. But because here in the States, it's 4th of July on Thursday, which is typically the premiere day, uh, they pushed it back to Tuesday. Okay, let's see what it says. It says, early returns for Spider-Man Far From Home have the joint venture between Sony and Marvel Studios Prime for a record Tuesday opening. The box office analysis are predicting the final movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe's Phase 3 to gross between $40 million and 48 on Tuesday. Since July 4th falls on the middle of the week, Far From Home opened Tuesday, when most blockbusters typically open on a Thursday night, Friday, which is what I just said. Ironically, the film that currently holds the record for Tuesday opening is 2012's Amazing Spider-Man, which was taking in $35 million on a Tuesday night. The Sony reboot opens in July. Now, that's interesting because the way that this was written, I was under the impression that... Um, and let me scroll up here. Yeah, it was written yesterday. Okay, so... I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll look into a little bit more after I get done reading this. Because we started it, so we might as well just tap into it. Uh, it says, Far From Home's early tracking reports that $125 million debut in its six days. But adjustments now put it at $150 million or more. Part of the reason the early track was so high for Far From Home is that it's the first film to follow the Avengers Endgame. The film's trailer also became Sony's most viewed in its first day of release with over 135 million views. All of those factors may be impacted. The movie's box office potential in a positive way. And it is directed by John Watts. Spider-Man Far From Home stars Tom Holland, Samuel L. Jackson, Zadea, Zendaya. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Um, John Favreau, Martin Starr, Marissa Tomei, and Jake Dillenhall. And now it says in theaters now. So let's go ahead and see what we can find as far as information on what it was. Because I do know like here where I live, um, I talk to people that are we're waiting for the 4th of July weekend. But, you know, personally, I, I, I don't see that. How do I say this? 
Um, sorry, I just seen a really stupid post that took my mind away from it. I apologize. Um, yeah, that just completely wiped my thought away. I'm sorry, guys. What? Shoot. Everybody's going to be going to a weekend thing. So it's going to be elbow to elbow with people. And I just, I, I don't know. I just didn't care for it, to be honest with you. Or I wouldn't care for that many people. Now, if it, it I don't know. I'm, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'm looking, I'm still looking at the current moment to see what, uh, if there was anything reported as far as, how much money they actually made, and I'm not seeing anything gained. Uh, no, I'm seeing a bunch of other things, but I don't see like how much it's made. Okay, well, I did look. So, if anything, I'll bring it up. Um, next week because i i, I kind of have a gut feeling it's going to be a, a very heavy opening i actually think it might actually be more than 150 million but we'll have to watch and see okay jumping into the world of comics it says house of x variant revealed a new look for cyclops now if anybody knows me knows that i am a very big fan of the x-men and my absolute favorite superhero of all times is Cyclops. And I really disliked the way that he was designed with that stupid red X over his eyes because, you know, practically he wouldn't be able to see in the first design and it just, it, 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 you know, I just didn't like it. Anyway, looking at a quick sketch on this, it's got his visor back, you know, the visor that he's had from the get go. So that does make me happy. Um, okay, let's see what this article says. It says, when writer Jonathan Hickman and artist Pepe Larraz debuted House of X last month, X-Men leader Cyclops will be sporting an updated costume. Okay, how do I say this? I'm looking at it right now. It caught my eye. I'm like, ooh, how do I pronounce that? It is artist Marco Chig. Cheech Ghetto, uh, character decades, variant cover of House of X number one features five alternate costumes that Cyclops has worn over the years, with the fifth being the new costume he'll wear in the X-Men miniseries. Costume appears to be a slight upgrade to the one Cyclops previously wore in Brian Michael Bendis, all new X-Men and Uncanny X-Men, except the red color in the lines are replaced by blue. The other four costumes consist of his suit from classic X-Men era. The 90s costume designed by Jim Lee and featured in X-Men animated series, the bomber jacket look, from Grant Morrison and Frank Quickly's new X-Men, and the costume from writer Josh Whedon and 
John Cassidy's Astonishing X-Men, which was absolutely, if you've ever read that, you guys know, that is just, it was such a good series, it really was. And so I'm looking at it, okay, I'm liking it, I am liking it, it looks good. Um, okay, uh, yeah, looks good. I'm not sure what the blue, unless they're going like, Back to the blue and gold teams, but I thought that got uh, tossed out. But, okay, looks good. I see a little coloring error, but that's okay. Yeah, I'm looking at the old uh, bomber jacket from, uh, what's his name? He, uh, Grant Morrison, yeah. I, I I absolutely hated that look. I really did. I thought it was dumb. Okay, not bad. Looks good. It says a teaser image of House of X puts Cyclops back into the original five X-Men. Jean Grey, Beast, Angel, and Iceman. He finds excuse me, but finds Scott Scott Summer in the all new X-Men and Uncanny X-Men red costume previously mentioned. Also, the members of the X-Men are all from different eras of the past, adding more mystery to the updated series. Hmm. Okay, that's, that's interesting. I guess that was the end of that article. Uh, I don't know, gang. Uh, I guess... I guess they gotta, they're trying to do what they can do to make things more hip for the audience. Uh, I know that different variations and different writers have really messed up the timeline and messed up characters. So I, I guess they're doing what they can do to you know keep it relevant for today's audience. I get that. I do. Yes, I'm in a decent mood. I'm, I'm not ranting or raving today. Let's take a look. Let's see. So we've got a movie. We've got a comic book. Let's take a look at some cartoon information, shall we? Okay. We are going really fast today, too. I apologize. All right. This comes from awn.com, and it's the first time I've been here. So animatedworldnetwork.com or awn.com uh, and it says brand new Looney Tunes short Dynamite Dance premieres at Annecy Warner Brothers Animation producing 1,000 minutes of cartoon animation featured iconic favorites like Bugs Bunny Porky Pig for a new season of broadcast digital and mobile play okay you know I, I think that Oh, that's interesting. They, it's got it, it's more of the the classic look of it's uh, Elmer Fudd. He's got an axe and he's trying to chop bugs, and it's it's more of the classic looking bugs with the yellow gloves. Very interesting. Very interesting. I, I'm interested. Okay. Huh. So they're going back that way. It says, we finally got to see some Warner Brothers animation brand spanking new Looney Tunes short here on the big screen in Annecy. Showcased for a screaming, standing room only crowd. And they did not disappoint. 
the Warner Brothers Animation, or WBA, has now followed up its tightly anticipated Annecy reveal with the release of Dynamite Dance, directed by David Jamil, one of the first batch of finished shorts unveiled for the upcoming Looney Tunes cartoon series. In the WBA's NSC presentation, in addition to sharing multiple shorts with the crowd, executive producer Peter, let's see, I'm going to say Peter Browngert. I think that's it. Peter, I'm going to say Peter Browngert. Uh, and supervisor producer Alex Kirwan gave NSC attendees a behind-the-scenes look into the program's production process. Mummy Dummy, another of the new shorts, where Bugs is mistaken, or Bugs mistakes a Egyptian tomb for a vacant resort, screened at an enthusiastic crowd on opening night in front of Lino Di Silvo's new animation feature, Playmobile. Looney Tunes Cartoon is a series of new animation cartoons starring revered uh, classic Looney Tunes characters like Bugs Bunny, Elmer Fudd. In the bold Warner Brother animation comment, each season of shorts will include a thousand minutes of new Looney Tunes animation produced by a premier cast of artists that will be distributed across multiple platforms, including digital, mobile, and broadcast. Uh, the new shorts echo the new high production value and process of the original Looney Tunes theatrical short with a cartoonist-driven approach to storyboarding. Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, and other marquee Looney Tunes characters will be featured in the classic pairing in simple, gag-driven, and visually vibrant stories. Each cartoon will vary from one to six minutes in length, and from the premiere on through the, to the jokes, it will be written and drawn by cartoonists, all allowing their own personality and style to come through in each cartoon. Looney Tunes cartoon is produced by Warner Brothers Animation and features veteran Looney Tunes voice cast, including Eric Burza, Jeff Bergman, Bob Bergman, uh, Bergen, sorry. Uh, Sam Register, who is Teen Titans Go, and Peter Browngart, Uncle Grandpa. Good morning. Sorry, my kids love Uncle Grandpa. Uh, serve as executive producers. Okay, very cute. All right, and I like it. It's got that very old school feel to it. Uh, you can go to www.awn.com slash news slash watch hyphen brand hyphen new looney tunes new hyphen looney looney hyphen tunes hyphen short hyphen good grief a lot of hyphens uh dynamite hyphen dance hyphen premieres hyphen fantasy <laughs> <laughs> if you want to watch it or now that i've actually said it i just realized you could probably just go and type in looney tune cartoon dynamite dance into youtube and you probably find it um 
so yeah, there you go. And uh, I'm in. I, I like I said, I grew up. I'm I'm 42, and I grew up with the original rebroadcast of the the cartoons, you know, of the old Looney Tune. And they don't really play that many Looney Tune Looney Tune cartoons out on network TV anymore. That's one of the reasons why and this is not a, a promo for Boomerang. It's just my personal opinion that uh, Boomerang, you can go and get it on like Roku or Amazon Play or is it Amazon Prime? Sorry, Amazon Prime. And you can go and watch these old cartoons and my kids enjoy them. And it's fairly inexpensive. So it has my support as far as that goes. Uh, speaking of support, now, as a 90s, I, I guess I was, I, I'm kind of between an 80s and 90s kid because I, I was a kid in the, the 80s, but I was a teenager in the 90s. Uh, well, up until like 97, then I became, uh, you know, I was 20 in 97. But anyway, I, I'm rambling, I feel like. So... There's a special place in my heart for 90s comics. Now, I know a lot of people lately give 90s comics a lot of crap. Like, oh, it's horrible. It's horrible. Um, again, that's a matter of opinion. I grew up with those type of comics, so I, I have a very strong fondness for them. But what it seems like that it doesn't matter what, if it was the 80s, the 90s, or today, Everybody agrees that Sandman is one of the best produced comic books, graphic novel series ever made. And I know that Neil Gaiman, some people just just like throw themselves at Neil Gaiman for what he he intellectually creates on that type of landscape. So I felt when I saw this title, I was like, oh, I've got to talk about this because it, it kind of fits into what I'm talking about. But now it, it's transcended like everything else in any type of intellectual property and any type of branding that's happening, especially in the, the world of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Anything is, if it's been drawn and considered comic book format, is, is considered hot. But and they've really tried lately to, to produce, you know, more standards and superhero genre movies. But I think some are missing the mark. Now, one thing that's coming out that I'm really excited about, and I, I will watch it. I, I will be the first one to say I will watch this. And it is Sandman TV series reportedly lands at Netflix. Yes. Um I'm I'm curious to see. It's got to be animated. It has to be animated. As I'm scrolling down and I see the word live action. Uh, <laughs> well, that'll be interesting. If anybody's ever read Sandman, it, it, to see to see, there's a lot of visually involved things in Sandman's story. So that's why I was thinking it will be animated but according to this it's going to be live action so let me go ahead and start with an update it says netflix has confirmed it has ordered sandman to series 
as well as a reveal the number of episodes. Okay, so let's go ahead and start this bad boy and find out what it says. It says, after years of uncertainty, author Neil Gaiman's beloved DC Vertigo classic comic series, The Sandman, has reportedly landed a live-action television adaptation on Netflix. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Netflix has signed what is described as a massive financial deal with Warner Brothers Television to adapt a seminal supernatural graphic novel for its streaming platform. Sources claim that The Sandman will be the most expensive TV series DC has ever produced. The series is to be written by Alan Hinberg, who wrote Wonder Woman and Grey's Anatomy, who will also serve as the showrunner. Additionally, Gaiman himself will executive produce alongside David S. Goyer, who is known for The Dark Knight and NBC's short-lived Constantine series. Hmm, okay. Created by Gaiman, Sam Keith, and Mike... Diggenberg. Do I want to go down that rabbit hole? I'm trying to think if I really want to go down that column. As a comic book creator and producer myself, okay, I I have a hard time saying that someone other than the creator, the actual creator is a co-creator of it. And this is the modern era. So I know that if you do a comic book and you want to be known as the creator of the comic book, you're going to have to write and draw that sucker yourself. Okay. Now, back in the, what was it? 80s when Sandman came out? Let's see. You know, that's, this is going to be one of those things that, um, I'm actually going to do a live search right here on the show. I very rarely do that. So, when did Sandman first get published? If you actually saw how I was setting, you would laugh. Uh... Now, according to this, this is 2006, but I know that's not true. Because I remember reading Sandman in the 80s. So, I'm looking here. I know, we're, we've literally gone off on a tangent here. Um... Yeah, so I'm looking. But anyway, as I'm looking, uh, oh, yeah, see, 1989. So, yeah, there you go. It did come out in the 80s, 89, the present. Um, so, uh, okay. Yeah, okay. So, anyway, back in the 80s when it came out, Neil Gaiman was the creator, okay? Um, but then... Artists pushed to say, well, I drew it, so I should be entitled to being considered a co-creator. 
I know people will like want to disagree with me, but that's what it comes down to. Okay. So he created Sandman. He created the stories. He created, you know, what, when you write a comic book, you write what to draw. You, you say, this is the character, this is kind of the idea of what I have. Now, you can say, co-developed, that's fine. But the initial concept of co-creation should be solely Neil Gaiman. Now, I understand that Neil is like all whatever. You know, he's, he's in that realm where he, he doesn't mind sharing the, the concept. Or the the copyright, essentially, I guess, is what it comes down to. And he's like, oh, fine with it. And I'm, uh, okay, that's fine with me on that, too, okay? It's my show. I've got to have at least one good rant, right? And so, how do I say this? So these people are considered co-creators of... Sandman, but in reality, it's Sam. Uh, Sam, oh my gosh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because I was looking at Sam Keith, it's uh, Neil Gaiman, Neil Gaiman, Sam Keith, and Mike Dig Diggenberg. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is, in my heart of hearts, and you can disagree with me, I do not mind whatsoever. Is Neil Gaiman created the uh. Oh, Sandman. Good God. What is wrong with me this morning? I think I need more caffeine. Okay, so let me go ahead and start over. My apologies. We're talking about the Sandman live-action TV show that's going to be streamed on Netflix. It's going to be the highest-costing television series that DC has ever created. DC slash Warner Brothers. And if I hadn't gone on my long... Little well, it wasn't. It's not as long as like if I started a rant on like the X Men. That was long enough. Anyway, if I would have read like the next, literally the next sentence, I wouldn't have had to gone into a Google search. So there you go. It says created by Gaiman, Sam Keith, Mike Diggenberg's The Sandman stars Dream of Endless, a powerful being with domination over the realm of dreams and imagination. First published by DC, technically Vertigo, in 1989, the series was met with criminal acclaim. It was, I, people just lost their minds when this thing hit. I remember when it came out. It, it just, it was 89, so it was around Batman movie time. So people were like hyped up about not like it is today, but they were hyped up about comic books back then. And uh, yeah, people just literally, sincerely lost their mind. Uh, let me just go ahead and get back into this. It says becoming a hallmark of vertical imprint, not to mention one of the first graphic novels to appear on the New York Times bestseller list. Over the years, there have been multiple attempts to bring Dream and Company to the screen. A film adaptation of Sandman was developed at Warner Brothers throughout the late 1990s. However, the project failed to get off the ground and was effortlessly cast into development or development hell 
in quotations, by 2001. A television adaptation was pitched to HBO producer James Mangold around 2010, which failed to materialize. Um, let's see. This particular article has lots of ads. Let's see. Okay. It says, Gaiman announced in 2013 that he had partnered with accent actor Jordan Gordon Lovett for a Sandman film to be produced by New Line. However, Lovett, Gordon Lovett left the project in 2016 due to creative differences with the studio. Later that year, Eric Kesner, who had been tapped to pin the film's screenplay, revealed he too was no longer attached to New Line Sandman. All that being said, some of Gaiman's Gaiman, Keith, and Diggenberg's creation have found their way into live action, namely Vertigo's Lucifer, who begin life or who ah goodness, sorry guys, who begin life as a Sandman character, has starred on his own. TV series since 2016. Lucifer was canceled by Fox after three seasons and revived by Netflix for the fourth, with a fifth and final season recently being announced by the streaming giant. At long last, however, it seems that Sandman will finally grace the screens the world over. Although Netflix and Warner Brothers have both reportedly declined to comment as the former deal has yet to be closed. But accordingly to the update that we we read before we started reading this, it was, in fact, closed. Additionally, the new series does not have an announced release window, which, according to the update, says it has, nor a number of episodes revealed. Okay. And more ads, more ads, more ads. And I guess that's it. They are kind of leaving us hanging there with no no more information. Well, that's kind of crummy. So I look forward to it. I hope it, it does well, and I hope they don't put produce like a cheap version of this. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, I really don't know, guys. I, I, I just trying to be positive in the world. I mean, like, okay, they produced an amazing um, Castlevania. But personally, I think that Netflix is on a decline as far as home producing their their own stuff. I don't know. I, it could just be me. I, I may just be being grumpy again, but um, I don't know. I just don't see anything that's really jumping at me. So I'm hoping that they produce something because, like I said in the beginning, you know, Sandman is is on, on the the fan base is so large that it's it's due, and I really hope that it doesn't fall through. Um. Just because I do have some time to kill, I am going to tap into one more cartoon story. Actually, this is more anime, uh, manga, than 
cartoon. So it says Titans are no longer the enemy of on attack on Titan. It says Warning, the following article contains spoilers for season three, episode fifty-nine of Attack of Titan. The other side of the wall. Okay, here we go, gig. Attack on Titan season three finale is a quiet but by no means dull affair. When Aaron and his fellow soldiers have just scored their biggest victory to date over the greatest threat to their existence, recently acquired knowledge of a new possible even greater one on their widening horizon makes the atmosphere a quietly tense one. It's the calm before the two horrendous storms and the only way out is to go through it. Yes. At the top of the episode, which picks up straight after the previous one, while whistled down scouts have little time or energy to bathe in the post victory afterglow. In the meeting between the scouts, Queen Hysteria and the rest of the military police to discuss the contents of Janesha uh, Jaggers or Jaggers diary. You know, it's funny because you hear these these words and you're when you're listening to it and then you try to pronounce it and you're like, don't match it up until you're you're hearing it in post production. You're like, oh yeah, okay. So, sorry. Queen Hysteria's rule that has the information should be made public, no longer wanting to perpetrate the King Ress's reign of lies. Sorry, I was reading ahead. This becomes a theme in the final, and several characters wrestling with the idea of whether an awful truth is better than a kinder lie. To this point, Aaron chooses to withhold a key detail from the superiors. The knowledge that only someone of royal blood can fully utilize the founding titan power. He rationalizes the deception as being for the good of hysteria, not trusting that the power that be wouldn't force her to accept her destiny. And the titan power that has been proven corrupting influence on her on her family we're visually reminded of this whole thing when hysteria and Aaron's hands touch during the medal of medal of valor ceremony the contact triggers Aaron to see more of his father's memories which shows Janisha or Janisha <laughs> I was thinking X-Men, Janisha. Um, begging Hysteria's older sister, the previous processor of the founding Titan power, to return the erased knowledge of their people's origin to them so that the population can defend themselves against the coming Titan invasion. Spearheaded by resource, hungry Malians, his pleas are met with cold stare, which, as he knew, 
leads him to steal the power from her in an act of deception and later pass it on to his younger son. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. More importantly, after a year's wait and the the refugees rebuilding their homes, the scouts venture forward beyond the wall than ever before. How do we know it's been a year? Well, we're shown the changing of the seasons from one thing to another. Aaron has grown the long hair of sadness. Oh, sorry. You know this hair. It happens when me hero, hero males go through a transformable, I'm this way it's written, period of loss and in their all-consuming introspect forget that scissors exist standards in the scout are clearly slipping in the post-war period we should cut the kid some slack though as he's just being dragged through the worst six or seven years of his life this change isn't just an, an aesthetic one either during their journey the scouts come across a small immobile titan and we get to see how finally knowing the truth about the, his people's longtime enemy as it affected aaron i hate titans jagger cute Season 1, Aaron would have slaughtered the creature on the spot. Season 3, Aaron chooses to let it be. The small, humane moment being the shift of attack on Titan has undergone in just a handful of episodes into a sharp focus. Suddenly, Titans are no longer figures of chaotic evil, but pitiful victims instead. Enslaved pawns enlisted for someone else's power. He's a patriot. Aaron summarizes. Interesting. Scouts continue on until they reach the white-walled exterior of the original home city. It's a huge leap in process, topping one by a second. The sight of the ocean, or the sight of the ocean. Getting to one day see the sea, cute, see the sea, has been the thing that has kept Aaron and Amon, um, Armin, Armin, good gracious, going through their toughest times. Seeing the group splash gleefully around in the salty water is about the close as Attack on Titan will get, ever get, to that weirdly classic anime staple on the beach episode and it is sweetly sweetly satisfying point of closure for the show's first three seasons and the anime the animation on here is just oh my gosh of course the fourth and final season looms large in a distance that Aaron shares into it. He may all have mellowed out somewhat since achieving his short-term goal and avenging his mother's death and unlocking the secret of his father's basement, but Aaron is still the show's resident Debbie Downer. 
Before the credits roll, he, is remind, he reminds everyone that what lies across the ocean isn't the freedom they've dreamed of, but more enemies waiting to annihilate them. And what could be worse adversary than a, hu a hungry titan? Humans, of course. And that was just a little tidbit I had to, to bring in there because we have time to kill. And it is... Uh, yeah, check it out, gang. It's it's one of the better ones. It really is. Oh, goodness. It's... It, it, yeah. You can find it on streaming. You can find it... I, I know for a fact you can find it on Amazon Prime. Just type in uh, the Titans. Oh, gosh. It is good, and it'll give you, um, you know, DC Titans, I think too. But uh, what is it? Um, what's the keyword? I think it's Attack on Titan is what I put in, and it will give you exactly what you're looking for. So give it a shot. If you've never watched an episode, be ready to be engrossed in great writing, great, great voice acting. And amazing Japanese animation. You know, as as I'm sitting here starting to sweat, and I, I'm hoping that you guys won't be able to hear it in post production. I'll be able to take it out, but I've got my air conditioning on, and it is so stinking loud. But it is hot. It is really hot today. I don't know why I bring that up, but I'm just probably because I'm sweating to death. <laughs> All right, so as you figure, yeah, I took a drink between that real fast. We are down to our toy news, our weekly toy news. And I always bring this up because I feel that my affection, my new affection for the action figures that's being crafted would not have happened without Mario Martinez. Uh, introducing it to me so my continuing thanks to him um, now I know I've, I've been trying to veer away from NECA but NECA is my favorite toy maker um, and, it, and it's not saying that I'm like superly huge into scary things you know scary movies though I am I am a huge scary uh, horror movie uh, fan, but there is more depth to me than that. You know, I, I I like other things, but for some reason, the the horror action figures is really just really drawing my attention. And I've people have joked, and they, I've gotten emails and texts, and people that I've actually talked to in live that you know i'm i'm on the take from the the big bad toy store.com um you know because i'm always i, I don't want to say pimp because i don't know well, just, well, i already said it so pimping out their their website and it's not because i'm getting on you know any type of kickback from it it's because it was the the website that was introduced to me and they to me seem like they produce or not produce but they sell the most NECA figures so that's why I always end up going that route now 
this week, um, it's still NECA. I, I again, I enjoy NECA. In fact, what was last week? What was last week's? Uh, I know the week before that was the Prime one, the Optimus Prime. Ghostbusters mashup. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is I've been trying to get away from NECA, but this one was just so compelling that it brought me back in. And I actually went. This is a different site. I'll, I'll give it to you so you guys can check it out. It is toynewssi.com slash 447-33527. And it's international or Toy News International. Now, in what? Let's see. Roughly 15 days, we are going to have the, the start of Comic-Con International this year. And if anybody doesn't know, I'm surprised. Uh, Comic-Con International or San Diego Comic-Con is running July 18th to July 21st, and San Diego Comic-Con International is a non-profit multi-genre entertainment and comic book convention held annually in San Diego, California. Um, anyway, they come out with really good uh, stuff during that time. And one of the things that caught my attention this, this week, I was about to say this year, <laughs> something that caught my attention this week uh, from Toy News International is 2019 San Diego Comic-Con exclusive NECA 7-inch IT Pennywise figure based on dairy character engraving. Yes, yes. I uh, Now, if anybody knows me knows that I'm not a huge fan of remakes, but the IT Chapter 1 was so doggone good. I actually, and I know people are going to send me hate mail for this one, I preferred it over the, the Tim Curry one. I really did. I thought this one was way better. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, my God. I, I actually I, I went and have looked around. This is one of the ones that I will be purchasing uh, for my own personal collection, even though I've been, like I've mentioned before, that, I am collecting the Nightmare on Elm Street figures. This one is so good that I'm going to be purchasing it myself, and it's fairly inexpensive. So try to get it um, before it heads to Comic Con because after Comic Con, it's gonna go. It's gonna triple in price. I already know how much it costs because I've looked it up. But yeah, so let me go ahead and read you the article, and then we'll we'll see what happens afterward. It says, from the acclaimed 2017 IT movie drawn from the pages of Stephen King's original novel, NECA presents a very special edition of Pennywise, based on the dairy character engraving. The terrifying clown has been around for centuries, as evidenced by his appearance in an engraving of Derry's town character. And this 7-inch scale figure has been detailed in the engraved style to match. It is really cool. Comes with two head sculpts and two balloons. Display-friendly window box packaging with opening flap features the debossed printed and foil accent. Yeah, we're going back to old school 90s with that. Now, here's the thing that really, really 
I liked because I've been talking about really expensive figures. This is only $30. That's it. And I'm not trying to sell it to you. I'm just telling you that's what I'm going to pay for it. Uh, be on the lookout for the NECA next San Diego Comic-Con reveal uh, because they're going to be coming out with more stuff here. I'm kind of skipping that. Sorry, my apologies. This will be made available to a limited number. See, that's why. If you buy it now, you'll be able to grab one, but after the limited number, it's going to go from 30 to like 130. Uh, let's see. Limited number for those not attending the San Diego Comic-Con on NECA store. See more details. How to obtain. Let's see. Do I want to follow the link? Let's see what it does for me. Because if you're a, a horror fan, a comic fan, because I know that they produced comics too, the it comic, the movie fan, an it fan. Okay, San Diego, da da da. <clears throat> so go there. I've already given you an address. You just click on it and it kind of gives you more info on what you need to do. Um, Unfortunately, this year I'm not going to be able to attend the convention. I've got a lot going on in my world. You know, that reminds me, as I'm getting ready to wrap this bad boy up for this week, I do have some things that I want to ask you um, to find out. Now, I keep on the down low, and, I, and in fact, uh, the World of Myth editor and I were just talking about this just the other day. You know, I, I really don't talk about myself as a business owner, um, but I am. And I've got my fingers in a lot of different stuff that I'm working on. One of the things, one of the big things that's happening is the Jaisalman Pop Culture Expo happening in Victorville, California, February 15, 2020. And I want to know. Do you, you folks, the listeners, want me to talk about a little bit of what's going on in the Jaisalman Dark Myth Company, like PCE, Pop Culture Expo, and the World of Myth, and the things that we're getting ready to publish, publish books. Um, I'm actually in the works of, after PCE, I will be buying a, a brand that I, I'm not sure I'm able to say what publishing brand i'm going to be purchasing but i've been talking to the owner we've come to an agreement so are you interested in hearing that or do you just want me to keep it the way i have it you know talk about the multi zillion dollar companies marvel dc you know warner brothers sony you know things that you want to know on a wide scale basis or do you want me to bring it down and talk a little bit about what I do. Let me know. There's many ways to contact me. If you're listening to this on the Jaisal Modcast Podcast Network, scroll down. You'll see my ugly mug. You can reach me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I check it often. Not so much Twitter. I'm really bad about Twitter. I apologize, Twitter users. Um, or you can... I believe there's still the logo there. It says email the show. You can click on that and it emails you. Uh, you can send me an email at 
my public life at jayzomon, J-A-Y-Z-O-M-O-N.com. And let me know. Let me know. Do you want to hear about PCE? Do you want to hear what's going on with the Yelt Gnome action figure, which is still being worked on? It's kind of a pain in the butt at this process, but it's still being worked on. Um, I have a novel coming out. I have the business, the the brand, Dark Myth Publications, has uh, Stephanie Barty's second book in the works. Uh, there's so much going on. The world of myth. We're looking at bringing back the Herotica online magazine. So let me know. And I will be more than happy to talk about it because I love these things with a passion because, well, other than Herotica, I have to admit, I did not make Herotica. I actually bought that out. Great story. If you want to hear that story, I'll tell you about it. So send me some type of information, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email. Uh, send me your thoughts and we will go from there okay thank you so much for coming in i hope all of my american friends have a safe wonderful fourth of july tomorrow be careful with those fireworks in certain places you know uh, families are allowed to have fireworks where i live in apple valley fireworks are legal so no popping fireworks here in apple valley be careful be safe much love Happy Fourth of July, American Independence. And for this week, for my public life as an American nerd, I am your host, David K. Montoya. And as always, I bid you adieu.